Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending June 11th, 2022. This week, a Disney executive foolishly turns his back on a knife-holding Bob Chappick for a second. I'm Kim Hollis, wondering how you all will be celebrating the 20th anniversary of Lilo and Stitch. I'm guessing by buying more Lilo and Stitch merchandise, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. Also, Tim Bridey, writer and gamer who did not tear any pectoral muscles this week. If you also did not tear any pectoral muscles, raise your right hand. Oh, God, Cody Rhodes, no, please don't. (laughs) Also, David Mumpower, published author, media analyst, and someone who bought two sofas after 2 a.m. this morning. So I'm sure that'll be fine. Yeah, don't don't tell my wife, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, who just live-streamed Commencement. Go Beavs! Woohoo! Congrats! Also, Super Regionals this afternoon. Go Beavs! (laughs) (laughs) This week in our deep dive, it's time to do the executive shuffle. Toby Emmerich stepped down as chairman of Warner Brothers Motion Picture Group last week, but no hard feelings as he's getting a first look deal with the studio. He'll be succeeded by Michael DeLuca and Pam Abdi, who just left MGM. But one person who's out of a job is Peter Rice. Rice and his top lieutenant, Dana Walden, were one of the few to survive the move from Fox to Disney. Rice was head of Disney's entertainment and programming until he was abruptly dismissed earlier this week. He's being succeeded by Walden. There's a lot of speculation as to why Rice was fired, but he had reportedly interviewed for a top leadership job at Warner Brothers Discovery last year before dropping out of the race. He certainly seemed to think he was safe at Disney at the time, but as a surprise to him and pretty much everyone else in Hollywood, he was called into Bob Chapek's office this week and told in a seven-minute meeting that he wasn't a good fit for Disney and was canned. So clearly something's going on there. Yeah, we've actually got a lot to discuss here, but we should start with the obvious thing, which is if this were a game of Clue, it would be Bob Chappick wielding the knife in public. It is as simple a corporate assassination as you will ever see because I actually, and Kim will confirm this because it's created some chaos in my life. I had just written an article the other day about the eight candidates on Disney shortlist to replace Bob Chappick. And Kim, who was one of the names? I believe it was Peter Rice, David. Didn't I call him the best internal candidate at Disney? You did. I read the article. You're the only one because the article will require some tweaking now. So here's the thing about Rice. Rice is the protege of Rupert Murdoch. He came up through Fox. And by the way, that is a very long story. In the 1980s, Rupert Murdoch broke the British Union. This is a real thing that happened. If you Google wapping dispute, which I admit is a dangerous thing to Google, but if you Google wapping dispute, you should look up the name Tom Rice, which is Peter Rice's father. He basically handed Rupert Murdoch the keys to the kingdom then. And since then, as a way of doing right by Tom Rice, Rupert Murdoch took Peter Rice under his wing and turned him into a made man at Fox. And by the way, I do not want to denigrate Peter Rice's ability. He is as accomplished 
best an executive as you will find in Hollywood. How much of that is luck versus how much of that is somebody putting the finger on the scale? I, I don't know. But Rice has that sort of pedigree and it looks like he was speaking to some members of the board going, hey, I could probably do something to help you with that problem with conservative media because I have a friend named Rupert who kind of has some influence there. If you put me in charge of Disney, that problem might go away. Bob Chappick found out about it, picked up his phone, said, Peter, we're going to talk. And seven minutes later, Peter Rice was out of a job. This was an assassination, plain and simple. The fact that it seems to have been as public as it is, is either a reflection of the fact that Chappick has no ability to really manage PR, or on the other hand, he wanted this to be incredibly public. I think Chappick wants to assert the fact that, heck, he's the CEO of Disney. He's the boss. And if you're going to go around talking about him behind his back, you're going to lose your job. Rice, granted, was a great executive over at Fox, but the fact that he was not a good fit at Disney may very well be accurate. The atmosphere at a studio like Fox is very different than the atmosphere at a studio like Disney, where things are much more teamwork, everybody working together to accomplish a project. While at Fox, it apparently it was a lot more dog-eat-dog. I've heard Rice described as the kind of guy who wouldn't necessarily be standing up on a stage shaking hands with Mickey Mouse. If you're the CEO of Disney, that's something you're doing every other week. It may very well have been that Rice just did not fit in. And when, as CEO of Disney, Bob Chapek looks at Rice and Walden and says, look, both these people have contracts coming up and I need to I need to figure out what I'm going to do with them. He figured, well, I guess we can uh, keep Walden, but that Rice, he's, uh, he's, he's got a lot of negatives, including the fact that apparently he's talking about me behind my back. Time for him to go. So yeah, first of all, I want to be clear. The example I used to Kim the other day when the news first broke is, this is like when your pet leaves a dead animal by your door. It's almost like a warning to the other animals that might come up of this place is protected. Bob Chappick hasn't tried to frame anyone or anything like that. He has just walked up with a machete and beheaded somebody. It is as simple as that. Now, the cause of it and what you're talking about with Bryce is a really fascinating situation because David Zaslav apparently told Rice, hey, I want you to do the job that Jason Collar is doing right now only as a subordinate to me. Rice didn't like the setup because most people in Hollywood realize Zaslav's in over his head. So he stepped away from that. And at that point, Disney said, well, we will commit. We will sign you to a contract through 2024. They're going to have to pay that. You know who isn't under contract is Dana Walden, his replacement. Dana Walden's contract runs out next year and they had apparently been on the fence about extending it. And now, you know, she's going to be there for years. So they have just decided there. But we're talking about the toxic atmosphere and all the other stuff. And I want to be clear, if you Google their names right now, you will find Peter Rice, Dana Walden, Bones lawsuit. There was a court arbitrator. I mean, we're talking about a judge for major corporations who basically on public record said that Walden and Rice completely and totally fabricated stories in favor of Fox to keep Bones's production team from making the money it should have earned. These are not good people. They will lie for money because they came up from the toxic Fox work environment. When we talk about Peter Rice, it is important we remember this is someone whose purview included Fox News. You can draw whatever conclusion you like about who would probably be in charge of that den of vipers. He's still, by all accounts, a pretty well-liked guy. But does that scream Disney to you? 
it shouldn't. And it kind of sounds like there was a plan happening behind the scenes where conservatives thought they could manipulate circumstances to put who they wanted in charge of Disney. Chappick found out about it. He went to the board and he said, this is about right and wrong. This is a political thing. Make your call. And the board of directors has squarely, squarely supported Chappick into this and said, if you want to take him out, take him out. So this is a much bigger story than people fully appreciate. This was an attempt by a political movement to take over Disney, and it has failed. Yeah, there hasn't been any attempt to spin this. This has been clearly framed as Peter Rice does not belong at Disney. Peter Rice is gone at Disney. And however you want to look at this, for anyone who likes the philosophy and then the business culture at Disney, this seems to be the right move. As much as people might be upset about how Bob Chapek is not Bob Iger and how he doesn't necessarily have all the same wherewithal that his predecessor had, Bob Chapek seems to have done the right thing for Disney here. Let's be honest. I think JPEG would have tolerated a lot until Rice started talking about him behind his back. And that was probably the final straw. Yeah, I actually... Um I think more highly of Chappick because he did this. This is this is an aggressive move. It, it absolutely is. I, I'm not saying it's going to work out. I'm still operating the, under the assumption that his contract is not getting renewed. I'll be surprised if it is. I won't be shocked because the board did just in a way just commit to him for a while longer. But this was him really standing up for what was right in as much as anything else. And well, you said something interesting there. You were talking about Iger versus Chappick. Seeking Alpha had a very good article the other day that talked about basically what Iger was able to do with market capitalization versus Chappic. And the gist of it is, if you have a dollar to spend, are you better off saving it or investing it? And with most corporations, you should obviously invest. Iger managed $2.30 of earnings for every dollar, which is a massive investment. He's more than doubling his money. Chappick thus far is at $1.24, which is obviously much less, but that's 24% up on every dollar, which isn't bad in these market conditions. Chappick is doing better than people want him to, is the best way I can say it, because nobody seems to like him. And in fact, I laughed when an agent said about Chappick, how many more times does this guy have to show you who he is? Everybody thinks that he is this nice professional man when in reality he is ruthless. He didn't get to be CEO of Disney by accident and people keep underestimating him. And it just cost Peter Rice his career. A year ago, at this time, Peter Rice could have been in charge of HBO Max or he could have been in charge of the entire Disney empire if things have broken wrong. Right now, he has no job options. That's a cautionary tale for people who go against Bob Chappick. In our rapid fire this week, by the time you hear this podcast, it'll be known if Disney's bid to renew its contract for carriage of the Indian Premier League cricket matches will have been successful. This has been high stakes bidding for the ages. And in fact, when we recorded this, which is the day before the announcement, Amazon had finally decided, you know what, we're out because they weren't able to pay what is estimated to be $6.4 billion. Amazon couldn't find the value in it. But Raul, other companies, they absolutely see it, right? Yeah, I think this is probably most valuable to Disney. This will influence subscriber numbers of Disney Plus massively. As we've discussed in the past, a lot of Disney Plus subscribers are actually subscribers of Hotstar, a streaming service in India. And those people are subscribed to Hotstar, not because of Disney Plus, even though you get Disney Plus with Hotstar, 
Hotstar. They're subscribed to Hotstar because Hotstar carries the IPL matches. If those matches aren't carried on Hotstar any longer, Disney's going to lose a lot of subscribers. No one's going to be paying for Hotstar if there's no cricket on Hotstar. This is such a big deal that if Disney lost the bidding to, let's say, a company like Sony's India division is actually bidding on this. There's a company called uh, Reliance Industries. If one of these places is getting in said, I swear to you, I think that Disney or Google might consider buying them. It is that big a deal. Imagine okay, ESPN couldn't show any of the four major professional sports anymore. That that would be like almost the equivalent of this. Yeah, just sh- of how huge shut, it, shut it down. Cricket is in yeah. in in India. I don't doubt it. The other competitors are probably going to have to leverage themselves pretty heavily to be able to pay if their bid is accepted. And once you get into that much debt, you become a takeover target. So like David said, I wouldn't be surprised if one of the smaller bidders wins the bid, they probably get taken over. The other thing to keep in mind is that if Disney does lose this, it is absolutely a setback. However, as you'll recall, the average revenue per user, the ARPU that we're always tracking is significantly lower because of the hot star market. So if Disney loses this, they'll both have billions of dollars more to spend elsewhere because it's expected to cost $6 billion or more to get these rights. And they'll also probably have a better ARPU as we move forward. So it's a bad scenario for them, but it's not a doomsday scenario, I don't think. As news emerges of the upcoming Beavis and Butthead movie on Paramount+, Plus, the streamer is also reporting that over 200 episodes of the mid-90s MTV animated series will be coming to the streamer as well, with the accompanying music intact. This is actual news. This is significant because a lot of series that relied heavily on music haven't made it to home video or streaming because of music rights. WKRP in Cincinnati and Miami Vice are just two examples, but someone at Paramount put in a lot of work to secure the music rights for Beavis and Butthead. Now, the question remains, is someone else also willing to put in that work for other shows like WKRP or Miami Vice? Because until all those rights get secured, we're not going to get to see those shows ever again. Yeah, you're not kidding. First of all, the person who did this is a hero because you want to talk about an exhausting gig. There were probably a team of people working out the rights because you think three or four music videos an episode, that's probably 800 different deals. I'm just spitballing on a number here. But so many different deals with music executives and nobody wants to talk with music executives about, you know, rights to music. It is the worst thing in the world to discuss. They're impossible. On top of that, CBS deserves so much credit for what they're doing with Paramount+. Plus. I mean, seriously, we've harped on it in the past, but they're showing that the people in charge get it. They understand what's important here. And Raul, I'll go ahead and throw in a different one when you're talking about this, and that's Moonlighting. We actually, a long time ago, and I mean a long time ago, Moonlighting came out on DVD and a press person sent us a free disc set of Moonlighting and said, hey, we know that you like this show. Uh, We've appreciated your championing the idea of a DVD release for so long. You were one of the people who helped it happen. It was very generous of the time, but what's remarkable is that DVD release actually has become almost impossible to find because it had music rights on it and nobody wants to do that anymore, so they discontinued it quickly. If you are a show that used real music in the 80s or 90s, what probably happened is they signed a two to five year contract for the music rights, not 
got the lifetime contract, which honestly would have only cost a few thousand dollars more. That's what's so frustrating about the whole thing. If somebody had just been more forward thinking a couple of decades ago, we could have avoided a lot of this nonsense. But as a Beavis and Butthead fan from way back, this makes me very, very happy. And as always, when uh, we're praising Paramount Plus, we always have to toss in that asterisk, except for Halo. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Lastly, in gaming news, Microsoft has announced that Xbox Cloud Gaming will support the addition of your video game library to their platform later this year. While details are still sparse, it sounds like this is similar to how music and movie platforms allowed you to add titles to your digital library by providing proof of ownership, either by uploading a file like an MP3 or scanning a CD or a DVD in your drive or or scanning a barcode. For folks who have a massive library, physical library of video games, this is really going to be welcome news. But I think really what what will really tip things here is if Microsoft can make some kind of deal with Steam, for instance, or any of the other cloud digital services like uh, Electronic Arts Origin or the uh, Epic Games Store, where they say, let's let's make our libraries compatible to each other. This would open up a world like, like the old ultraviolet days for digital movies or the movies anywhere days today, where one library here and one library there selling merges into one single cloud library of content that you can play from any platform at any time. This is really where Microsoft is trying to position this Xbox cloud gaming, where you can play these games, but you can play them on your console, or you can play them on your mobile device, or you can play them on your desktop, or you can even play them on a competitor's console. They are really revolutionizing gaming right now. I think we see the same with uh, Steam and the Steam Deck, where if you've got this game in Steam, you can play it on any platform that's supports Steam. It's a a revolution in gaming, and it's really moving things away from the paradigm of the siloed gaming, where if you get in with a PlayStation, you're only a PlayStation gamer. And if you get in with a Nintendo, you're only a Nintendo gamer. It is now a universal platform that you can play anywhere at any time, any game that you have. I I really want to see this materialize. I want to see more details because this, I think, is really, it's it's a really exciting feature for, for gaming. Yeah, I need more information on exactly what this entails. I think the idea of owning something on multiple platforms or consoles or being able to play buy it once and play it on multiple consoles seems a little bit crazy, but Microsoft is the company that could pull it off. Tim wants to believe, but he's been burned before. That's what all that is. (laughs) Sure. There's been a conversation I had recently with a friend that brought up the question of, I have this Xbox game on disc. Does that mean that it's available to me through the Xbox cloud? And the answer right now is no, it's not. And and yet it is, it's all Microsoft. It's Microsoft on a disc and Microsoft in the cloud. And And you can expect that this is going to be the low-hanging fruit. This is the very first thing that Microsoft's going to make happen. It's like, if you've got one of our gaming discs, that game will now appear for you in the cloud simply by, I don't know, popping it into your Xbox and poof, it appears in your library. That at least is probably going to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, I'm going to approach this from a different angle. And Kim, we were just having this debate. What are you telling me that we can't have in our room because it's too big? The 
mega arcade. I don't know if that's what it's called, but it sure is mega. Yeah, it's called the Megacade. You can Google it. Uh, the gist is it is a giant home arcade cabinet that <laughs> is not cheap. There are also several different variations where other companies have realized this market and they're getting in on it. And the gist is you can play pretty much every video game ever made through like 2010 on one system. The legality of it is very, very shaky. But part of that is because a lot of these systems aren't even available right now. I'm talking obscure stuff. I mean, the Fairfield Channel F. I mean, Vex. Tracks. We're talking, there's Commodore 64 stuff on there. There's Philips CDI. There are people who are doing nothing but creating emulators to play every video game ever made and every computer game ever made. And as hard drives expand in size and processors get more powerful, it is easier than ever to do this, which means we should be looking at digital home consolidation. Now, Kim, let's go another way. There is a video game we love that we cannot play and it drives us crazy. What is that video game? It's called Kung Fu Chaos. Kung Fu Chaos was made for people like us who like action fighting games and also ridiculous send-ups of movie cliches. Unfortunately, the people who did it did a character as the antagonist who was an evil director. Not an evil director, just kind of, you know, your standard Hollywood selfish director, except the character was Chinese. And that has offended a lot of people as caricature, which is completely understandable. My argument is, if you turn on Crazy Rich Asians, the first 10 minutes of the film, you'll see almost exactly the same character as one of the cousins. I'm not defending it or anything. My thing is more that we own a disc for Kung Fu Chaos, and according to Microsoft, the Microsoft Xbox One X will play any Microsoft disc, but it won't play this one. They have only done backwards compatibility so far in a way where they control the narrative about what plays and what doesn't. With this system, every video game ever becomes a possibility to play. That is the future as we do living room consolidation. And I love that we're finally reaching this point. And I'm telling you right now, video games as collector's items are only getting started. And video game arcade cabinets are going to be a massive thing over the next 10 years. Please let me have my mega cade. <laughs> Hey, Tim, before we talk about ratings, why don't we talk a little bit about the box office? Okay. So uh, after the first five, last few weeks of movies are back, the theaters are back, box office is great. Uh, after this weekend, it's wow, movies suck because we got uh, <laughs> Jurassic World Dominion, another uh, Jurassic Park sequel. And while it's going to do very well, it actually has a Friday number, including Thursday previews of right under 60 million, 59.5 million. It's it's not good, is it? This is like really one of the first big releases since you yeah. know things have kind of gotten back to normal where it's like, this is not good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where, okay, the last Jurassic World movie was really crappy. And I do think that that has impact here on this one as well. Yeah, I mean, it's going to do fine. It's going to come in with It'll like be fine. 140 million or so, 100, mm -hmm. 130, 140 around there. But yeah, it's, I just find it amusing that this is the first real big movie that has gotten just terrible reviews because it just feels like it's been, here's a here's a MCU films that, that are, you know, everything's everything's great. Here's Top, top Gun. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Top, Tom Cruise might get an Oscar nomination. This this, mm -hmm. should be, this could get Best Picture nominated. And and then here's this movie that, wow, this is, this is terrible. Like, this is, this is bad. What happened? Yeah, so mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess 
guess we are back to normal because <laughs> we're getting we're getting big big movies and uh, that that aren't apparently aren't good. Uh, yeah, I just had to had to had to point that out. Uh, as meanwhile, Top Gun Maverick three hundred fifty seven million dollars. Uh, Doctor Strange three hundred ninety four million dollars. What is going on? These uh, Top Gun actually is probably going to pass <laughs> Doctor Strange in a couple of weeks, and both those movies are going to make four hundred million dollars. That's a, that's remarkable. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, after that, there's, it is very top heavy box office, you know, but it is exciting to see that there's, you know, there's big numbers. People are headed back to the theater when there's, when there's something they want to see. Not entirely certain what's coming next. I guess we're getting, you know, we are, well, we are getting Lightyear. We are getting uh, another Thor movie. So those, those should be exciting, but it, it is, it's exciting to see even if things are, things feel very top heavy. Okay, thanks for covering the box office, Tim. Why don't we now take a look at the ratings? Yep, we have uh, the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, May 9th through Sunday, May 15th, 2022. And your top show, not too much of a surprise, still Ozark. Down from its peak, 1.7 billion minutes, though, which is still pretty good. It's following the, the pattern we saw when we got the first half of the season earlier this year, that big peak, and then just that steady decline. That That's nothing out of, out of the ordinary here. It'll hang around for a few more weeks, and, and then as this is the final season... That'll be it. Yeah, Netflix is starting to run out of steam on its long-running successes, shows like Ozark and, of course, Stranger Things, which has a whole more season after this one, Mm -hmm. of course. But looking at their library, they don't have a lot of shows like freshman and sophomore shows that you look at them and you think, oh, yeah, these are going to pick up the mantle where uh, Ozark left off. You've got like what? You've got Bridgerton and I can't think of anything else. Wait for it. What's in second, Tim? Oh. <laughs> uh, it, we do have a new show in second, and that is The Lincoln Lawyer. Ten episodes arrived on the 13th and 884 million minutes. That's a good start. It's gonna, it's that gonna, is solid. Yeah, it's going to take a jump next week. It's definitely over over a billion. There's a chance that uh, if Ozark falls off enough and this one jumps enough, it could be the top show next week. Could be. It is an older show role. You were, you were looking for like what's what are their newer shows that are definitely going to have a you know a, a, say a season two or so. And the only thing I can think of is we are getting Umbrella Academy in what a month or so. Oh yeah, even that one I think has been on the bubble. I think it only mm-hmm. just has been renewed for fourth season. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that the last season of that um, predates you know ratings and, and this podcast, but we do know that that one was huge, though that may have been you know pandemic induced. Uh, but I I am excited to see what happens there in a couple of weeks. But yep. Anyway, uh, yeah, second is Lincoln, Lincoln Lawyer. Yeah, I, I was wondering if that would be if it would come in higher, but actually that I mean this is just a three day number, so it, it is going to see a big uh, a jump next week. Uh, third is Grace and Frankie, 584 million minutes. We, we, we've seen that. That's show probably more more popular than you think. And though I wonder if it's if it is skewed by these, you know, by the way Nielsen tracks these things and it's television watching, because I feel like this the show skews older because it stars older <laughs> older actresses. Uh, so that you know older people are more likely to watch things on television rather than a second screen, which aren't counted in these ratings. This is actually exciting though. Something new and fourth, and it's not on Netflix and it's not on Disney. It's not on Amazon. It's on Hulu. Uh, this is Candy. Five episodes, 577 million minutes. I'm very surprised by this, especially given that it's only five episodes. It was, I believe, five episodes released over five nights. Yes. So, so rather than, say, dropping the episodes all at once on a Friday, like Netflix typically does, uh, it did It did premiere the five-episode season over five days that started on Monday the, the 9th. So this, is, this does have the benefit of the entire week. So I 
don't think it will go up from here as we typically see shows do, especially ones on, on Netflix. In fact, it could may very well not be on the list at all next week. Uh, but yeah, no, it's actually, this is good for, yeah, I, I hate to asterisk, asterisk it, but it's good for Hulu. Yeah. And I will put in also that it's surprising because of the content. It just didn't seem like it was going to be a very catchy subject matter. It's the true crime story of Candy Montgomery, a housewife in the 1980s who commits murder. She's played by Jessica Biel. And now that I look at the cast, I realize, oh, hey, Justin Timberlake is in the cast as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think that he's the deciding factor here. Uh, <laughs> honestly, I don't get the hook here. I don't understand why anyone would want to watch this five night show on Hulu about people with big hair who end up killing each other. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we did because uh, we always start uh, what's new with Hulu typically. So I definitely remember that we discussed it, this one and we've definitely mentioned Hulu shows that premiere and then we never see them on the ratings list or they appear, but maybe in like ninth or 10th or so. So just the fact that this one had such a decent number number was very surprising to me though i think again a credit to the way they released it rather rather than anything with with the contents necessarily you know had they had they done with with uh, say the dropout you know released uh, an episode a day over like a whole week i think that would have come in with a much higher number than what we saw on the ratings uh we have another show returning to the originals list it is working moms uh 512 million minutes for its 70 episodes uh this is a canadian show that airs on television in canada right roll Yes, and, we okay. mentioned it just in time last week. Yes, we 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 added it to to the list because after the season airs uh, on the CBC, it shows up a few months later on Netflix, and uh, it's got its audience. And then the rest of the originals list is a bunch of shows we've seen before. Uh, the Circle, 380 million minutes for 44 episodes. Again, adding a couple episodes a week through the course of May. So it'll be here. Uh, Bridgerton, 304 million minutes. Amazon's Outer Range, 292 million minutes. Uh, after completing its season, Moon Knight was just too confusing for most people. So it, it falls all the way down to 289 million minutes in ninth. And Welcome to Eden, 259 million minutes in 10th. All right. So in movies, and we have finally broken Disney's stranglehold on the top spots because after months of Encanto and Turning Red dominating this chart, uh, it's two Netflix movies that take the top top two spots and thankfully none of them are U.S. Marshals. <laughs> and that's uh, we, why Peter Rice was fired. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was expecting this one to do well and your top movie with a very strong number, Senior Year, 797 million minutes for the mm-hmm. Rebel Wilson comedy. Yeah, I watched it, and actually I'm going to mention it later in the podcast. It's a harmless enough comedy. I wouldn't necessarily call it a family comedy. (laughs) Maybe you can watch it with your older kids. I can see how maybe Netflix, maybe the algorithm tried to push it harder than some other programs and just enough for it to hit number one on the ratings for at least one week. Yeah, I'm I'm not surprised. I didn't think that they went really went out of their way to push it. It's just, you know, they had, hey, they had a comedy uh, as opposed to some of the other stuff they've released lately. Rebel Wilson does have her her fans. She still has a lot of goodwill for, uh, from people because of things like Pitch Perfect. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised it, it, it did well. I, yeah, I don't expect a whole lot of staying power, but but yeah, good, a very good start. Uh, almost 800 million minutes for, for a Netflix movie. Also new from Netflix in, in second, uh, Our Father. 450 million minutes. Uh, we, we definitely talked about this one. It is the based on a true true story type thing. Yeah, the about the fertility about the, doctor. The fertility doctor, yeah, who may have um, 
fertilized. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> okay. Cool. But yeah, it, it's a very unpleasant topic. Uh, but enough uh, interest in 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 this to again have a have a strong number. That's you know over the last couple of weeks that that four fifty even four fifty would have put it in competition with uh, with Encanto, which by the and, way isn't is, isn't third three hundred eighty two million minutes. Uh, something else new from Netflix in fourth Operation Mincemeat three hundred forty three million minutes. Yeah, this is the uh, World War II drama, UK produced movie. I believe it was probably re- released theatrically overseas. So I'm not surprised that this one is getting as much attention as it is. Yep. Uh, it was theatrical release in Great Britain and then Netflix on the 11th, actually. So it has it had most of, the, most of the week for some reason. So I'm probably not going to see a, uh, an increase next week, but you know, still good, a good enough performance to, to land on, on the upper portion of the chart. Yep, and it does star Colin Firth. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, uh, here is Marmaduke, also from Netflix, 267 mm-hmm. million minutes for this uh, CGI comedy. This is actually its first full week. It actually premiered on the 6th, so it didn't make it with its three days, thankfully, but uh, the first full <laughs> week of its existence uh, bumped it up just enough to, 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 make, to make it here. So sure, yeah. why not? I don't know why it exists in 2022, but yeah. There you have it. <laughs> so this is the type of content that Netflix has decided it didn't want. It has since, you know, ended that entire division. So they've kind of made a choice here that they're not going to just do this sort of lazy family storytelling. They're going to try and do a little bit better. And I feel like these results kind of justify that because even though, you know, it's not true for the current generation, Marmaduke does have branding, name recognition, and it just didn't seem to help here. No, yeah, I definitely said before when we mentioned it on what's new. I'm like, how is this a thing in 2022? Uh, meanwhile, uh, U.S. Marshals is still here, unfortunately, 236 million minutes. Again, re- returned to Netflix on May 1st and got enough people to to watch it. Turning Red from Disney Plus is down to seven, 227 million minutes. Netflix's Den of Thieves, we also saw that last week. Another uh, retread, 177 million minutes. Disney's Moana, a mainstay of this chart, 161 million minutes. And for some reason, but I'll I'll give it a pass. Happy Gilmore lands in 10th, 149 million minutes. I'm a sucker for this movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> Still better golf than you'll see at the uh, LIV tournament. Oh, <laughs> ouch! But yes. yes, yes, but not wrong. Okay. Um, meanwhile, in acquired, it is ten shows we've seen before. Once again, led by Coco Melon, seven hundred fifteen million minutes for its eighteen episodes. We've seen it before, but in ninth is SpongeBob SquarePants, credited to Amazon, two hundred sixty million minutes for two hundred ten episodes. For some reason, sure, okay. Uh, <laughs> Outlander also returning. Uh, that that may have gotten new episode, three hundred ninety uh, million minutes, sixty three episodes in fourth. But yeah, I was uh, quite excited for when I saw the ratings this week. I was like, okay, hey, there's there's some interesting stuff to talk about because we did get some some new shows. Uh, I'm hoping Lincoln Lawyer should be the top show next week because we still have to wait a couple weeks to get that Stranger Things number. I'm curious to see what Senior Year does. Uh, but yeah, this was actually a good week for Netflix. In our green lights and cancellations this week, the fifth season of Fargo on FX and Hulu has a cast, including John Hamm, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Ted Lasso's Juno Temple. Hot damn, that's a good cast. <laughs> it always is. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really necessarily seem to matter who they cast in Fargo, although they always seem to cast great people. It's it's Fargo. It's gonna be good. Always good. The vampire mockumentary, What We Do in the Shadows, has been renewed for a fifth and sixth season. 
Yeah, this is the little show that could. It's six seasons now. So this one, clearly someone at uh, Hulu likes it a lot and they're going to keep running it until until they feel it's not worth it. You don't see a lot of streaming series that go this long. Story about vampires. It can go on forever. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. Truth. At Netflix, the adult animated series Inside Job about the cabal that's really running the world has been renewed for a second season. I'm going to need that cabal to run the world better, okay? (laughs) (laughs) At HBO Max, the axe is falling as the critically acclaimed Raised by Wolves is done after two seasons. As much praise as it was getting, and heck, it had episodes directed by Ridley Scott, it just never really seemed to get that kind of viral momentum on social media. So I'm not surprised that amongst the shows being canceled by HBO Max, this is one of them. It's hilarious to me because when they debuted season two of Raised by Wolves, if you pulled up HBO Max, it tried to load you straight into the series. That's how much HBO wanted people watching this. But now David Zaslav is in charge. And if his show isn't doing absolutely killer ratings, he's not going to give it any chance whatsoever. It's gone. Also, the Kristen Milioti-led series Made for Love won't be renewed for a third season at HBO Max. What did I just say? (laughs) David Zaslav is the new peacock on this podcast. (laughs) So HBO Max has taken over the two seasons and out role from from Netflix. It felt like this was very much a finite narrative. I I see how they segued it into the second season, but the premise is running a little thin at this point. So I'm not surprised it got canceled either. And as discussed last week, the J.J. Abrams science fiction series Demimond, his first since Fringe, is not moving ahead at the streamer and cable service. Apple previously tried to lure Abrams and his production company Bad Robot over to their streaming service, but were outbid by HBO. The series, which is still in development and is still produced by Warner Brothers, is now going to be shopped around and amongst the candidates that might buy it are Apple. Yeah, so the takeaway here, because this is the most important thing in the discussion, Jason Kylar prioritized getting all the best people he could running shows. David Zaslav prioritizes budget costs. We'll see in the long term which scenario wins out because Kyler left all kinds of full cupboards. Zaslav seems to be burning those cupboards. I feel it's just going to end up being another frustration for Warner Brothers where this ends up on another streaming service and becomes a big hit. And Warner Brothers says, why isn't this on our streaming service? It's not on your streaming service because you passed on it. What comes to mind immediately and... Now, I can't say with absolute certainty, but I have seen those trailers for Sandman on Netflix. Yep. Mm -hmm. That is a Warner Brothers show on Netflix. And that one sure seems like it's going to be a massive hit. And once again, Zaslav's going to say, why the hell is that on Netflix instead of HBO Max? It's on Netflix because your company passed on it. I presume that if you take the long perspective here, the thought is you can let somebody else pay you to make this product now, and then eventually you can take away the licensing and bring it back to your service later. But I honestly don't know if he has that kind of forethought. 
Speaking of Apple TV+, Plus, the Broadway musical spoof Schmigadoon is getting a second season on the streamer. Talk about shows with a finite narrative. That one was one and out. So I wonder how they're going to restart it. But I'm curious to see. It was an incredibly harmless and quick watch. And I'd be willing to watch a second season wherever they go with it. And to tie the conversations together, if Raised by Wolves and Made for Love had been on Apple, they'd be renewed right now. And if Schmigadoon had been made for HBO Max, we would never think about it again. And Amazon Freebie has picked up the Jeff Daniels, Maura Tierney drama, American Rust, after Showtime opted not to renew it for a second season. This show's had a troubled production. It couldn't land a distributor initially. They wanted a star for the lead. And I guess some streamers thought that Jeff Daniels wasn't big enough of a star. Oh, well, but I guess it's good enough for uh, for Amazon Freebie. And uh, in the cast is happy to be getting their second season. I just don't know if it'll go any further, but Amazon Freebies does seem to lean into the cop drama genre, and that's what this is. So it may be on Freebie for years to come. Ben Affleck is producing a movie at Amazon Prime Video about the rise of Nike. Affleck will play Nike founder Phil Knight, but the story revolves around Nike rep Sonny Vaccaro, played by Affleck's frequent collaborator Matt Damon, as he pursues a deal with Michael Jordan. The cast also includes Jason Bateman, Viola Davis, Chris Tucker, and Chris Messina. Yeah, where did they get the idea for this? That Laker series on HBO. Exactly. This is a couple of the scenes, basically one episode from the Lakers show. I think it's called Winning Time for Raul, where they show (laughs) them pitching Magic Johnson and him eventually deciding no at the personal cost of about, I think it was $5.2 billion. So now they're going to do the inverse of that and show what it was like to actually woo and attain Michael Jordan. Finally, the smash send-up of the superhero genre, The Boys, has been renewed for a fourth season at Amazon Prime Video. Weird that they're only announcing this now after the third season has premiered. Usually a show that is as successful as I believe The Boys is gets a renewal before the next season actually hits. So I wonder if it's hitting that point where it's starting to become too expensive and they're trying to balance the books and decide whether they can keep renewing it indefinitely or not. Okay. And speaking of the boys, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the past week. And David and I have watched the first four, is that right? Four episodes of the boys and Homelander is terrifying. He has been the whole time, but he continues to be. (laughs) I also watched South Park, The Streaming Wars, which I had no intention of doing, but David turned it on and was like, just watch the first few minutes of this after talking about it last week. And I wound up watching the whole thing. It is worth watching just for a single butters joke in the episode. And it busted me up and continues to do so. We could just put that in the podcast and it would sound just like us. It would. Yes. Yep. Yep. All right, Raul, how about you? So this week, I'm going to tell you about Senior Year on Netflix. It's difficult to say who is the intended audience for this movie. It plays like a raunchy teen comedy, but some of the humor borders on the R-rated. I watch it with my oldest daughter, and some of the humor was... (laughs) 
pretty uncomfortable. It also lurches from deeply dramatic to frivolously funny. Rebel Wilson plays a high school cheerleader, cheer captain, who falls into a coma in her senior year. She wakes up from her coma years later, determined to recapture her previous glory and returns to her senior year in high school. The whole thing feels like it's designed for Rebel Wilson to showcase her new, more fit physique. But Wilson does manage to carry the movie with a strong supporting cast that includes Mary Holland, Sam Richardson, Zoe Chow, and Chris Parnell. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of Chris Parnell, but he plays her father in this one. And most of what he does in this is actually on the dramatic side, and he carries that. There are a few genuinely funny moments and a few jokes that fall flat. Given this week's ratings, the movie looks to have clicked with some audiences, or at least Netflix is trying to make that happen. It's framed like a modern response to 90s high school teen movies like Clueless or American Pie, but I don't know if it's really in that same league. All right, Tim, how about you? So... In the early 90s, when only the biggest nerds on the planet knew who Dr. Strange was, uh, some filmmakers, who I guess were some of the biggest nerds on the planet, actually acquired the rights from Marvel to make a movie. Unfortunately for them, the rights expired uh, right before production began. But they kept making the movie anyway with a few changes, and the result was called Dr. Mordred, which premiered as the fifth episode of the new season of Mystery Science Theater 3000 last night. While not a good movie by any means, it was very weirdly watchable, if completely ridiculous, uh, which are always the types of movies I felt make for the best episodes the the riffing was great and this actually might be my favorite episode of the season so far <laughs> and at the end they revealed that the next episode will be the return of joel hodgson so i'm definitely going to Yay. talk about that one in a couple weeks yes he, he gets to watch a movie called demon squad which is apparently from 2019 and looks like <laughs> it was it looks like it was made in, in 1999 <laughs> perfect Can't wait for that one yep mm. yep <laughs> All right, David, how about you? So Kim and I have so much going on right now that it was kind of a miracle we were able to catch up on the boys. That's the only thing I've watched at all lately. And I've said it before, I will continue to say it. It is always true. Superman as a character works much better as a villain. And if you ever doubt that, so far the current season of the boys is basically laying out the blueprint for how this works. It is a fascinating portrayal and I can't wait to watch the next few episodes. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 